You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. And it is a great day to be here because we have a guest. Yay, guest! So our guest is the wonderful history author, Tegan. And because she can introduce herself better than I can, I'm going to hand it off to her. Go ahead. Hello, um, thank you for having me. Um, My name is Tegan Kehoe and I am a public historian and a museum curator, educator, and a writer. Um, And my one of my focuses is um, medical history. And so uh, it fits in very well with weird history and often (laughs) uh, women's history and can fit in with world history. My area is American medical history, but what I focus on is not just official medical science. I also like to look at the ways that unofficial medicine has played a role in people's lives, whether or not it actually works. Mm. Um, And so that's kind of some of the weird history that, that I wanted to talk about today. Yay, I love that, ticking two of the three boxes and three of the three boxes from time to time. So I'm really excited because medical history is not really in my realm of knowledge. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to hear about our topic today, which is medical machines. Tell us more about it. Yeah, absolutely. So throughout, really throughout history, but especially since about the Industrial Revolution, plenty of people have made machines that are supposed to help people with health in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are fake. Um, And (laughs) there's a particular story that I'm kind of enamored with, which is Dr. Albert Abrams, who was working in the early 20th century. He was a real medical doctor that's sometimes been questioned, but Historians have found evidence that he did receive a medical degree, Um, (laughs) but in the 19-teens, he started publishing things that his colleagues in the medical field were kind of looking sideways at because his evidence didn't line up, and also because it was out there. He was interested in spondylotherapy for a while, which is is um, pounding on someone's spine as a way to cure (gasps) them things um i feel like you shouldn't touch people's spines that's like the (laughs) that's the no-no zone (laughs) yeah well i mean it was kind of similar to chiropractic practice which is also controversial in medical world he wasn't the only person thinking about it but that was sort of the first publications that he wrote that were departures from what his colleagues would Mm -hmm. say yes this is science (laughs) but then he started his own field of medicine, you could say, called the Electronic Reactions of Abrams. Um, so his name was Abrams. So he named it after himself. Love that and it for was him. ERA for short. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of things in medicine are named after people. And a lot of the time, they're not named by the person who invented it. Someone later, oh, you know, funny. a colleague or someone else starts calling it so-and-so's thing. Yeah. Um, Abrams skipped that step, named it after himself <laughs> to begin with. And so his his theory was, it changed a little bit depending on when you asked him, but essentially that everything in our bodies and our health is governed by 
electronic waves that are kind of a consequence of the fact that matter is made up of subatomic particles, including electrons. And those electronic waves can be read by particular machines and they can be manipulated by other machines. And so he's using kind of the, sometimes using sort of the stuff of electrical and electronic equipment, like electrical switches and resistors and transistors and that sort of thing to create these devices. Um, I say sometimes because sometimes the devices had some, you know, dials and wiring on the outside and almost nothing on the inside. So sometimes oh. you not anything at all. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. This very much gives me like Frankenstein vibes, like Frankenstein's monster using yeah. electricity to bring people back to life kind of a thing. Yeah. And they're about a century apart, but I think that's actually an excellent analogy because even though they're a century apart that mm -hmm. time period had this sort of people granted a lot more power fantastical power to electricity than we would today because yeah. today it's so mundane you know electricity yeah. is you know we have batteries everywhere we have outlets you know spaced a certain amount apart in our home and we're a modern home can't have fewer than a certain number of electrical outlets because yeah. that's considered a fire hazard because it's just assumed that people will have so many devices to plug in electricity just is not a it's not considered high tech anymore let no, alone yeah. considered fantastical and granted that's speaking from a place of you know economic privilege and there's a mm -hmm. lot of infrastructure there are parts of the world where electricity is not a given yeah. But this idea that electricity or then electrons could be, could have that level of power. Yeah, I think that, that Frankenstein, Frankenstein's a great comparison. <laughs> and in the intervening years, in about the quarter century before Abrams was really doing his thing, mm -hmm. um, physicists had started to understand subatomic particles and started to understand the fact that particles have a charge they can be positive or negative and so the concept of electrons was pretty new past 15-ish 20-ish years at the time that Abrams was first stating his theories um he first published something about the ERA in 1916 mm -hmm. and oh what is his name Robert Millikan's a physicist had won the Nobel Prize in 1910 for identifying electrons negative charge so that's sort of the level of recency here. Yeah, yeah. And with that recency and with that kind of excitement of the general public is just starting, it's just sort of starting to filter into the public consciousness yeah. that the cutting edge of science includes things that can be called electronic because we have this word electron now and, yeah. and electrical charges are even more fundamental to physical reality than we had thought a generation earlier mm -hmm. and I think that that excitement kind of explains why people bought it because Abrams was doing some really wacky out there things um, one of the things that fascinates me is that he so many of his diagnostic machines were supposed to read the electrical or electronic activity in a person's uh -huh. body and so he could diagnose a person, supposedly, by using this machine on them. But if the person couldn't be present, they could send a drop of blood and he would just do it on the drop of blood, which no. kind of reminds me of some uh, more recent medical scams. But the way he would supposedly do this with a drop of blood is he would put the drop of blood in 
some part of this machine, but then still hook the machine up to a person. And the person would be like a young, healthy man with no known health problems who had, of course, already been scanned by this device to ensure that he had no known health problems. And he's like the proxy where since he's going to be totally neutral on this scan, then anything that's being read on this scan would be from that blood sample. Does the person hold the blood sample? What is what's happening with this blood? Do they... (laughs) Please tell me they don't drink it. No, no, um, at least not to my knowledge. So typically the sample was placed, it's kind of a a system of different wires. So the sample is placed and then there's wires leading to a different part of the machine. And Uh then there's the reagent. So the proxy is called a reagent because it's Uh supposed to be electronic reactions. So you, you introduce a reagent to be able to see the reactions um, I don't actually remember. I'm sorry if he's okay. hooked up to the wires or whether <laughs> it's just his presence and then his body is the one drummed upon. So it was, they would measure, measure uh, mm. in quotation marks, these <laughs> wavelengths by tapping above the abdomen and then in different areas of the abdomen. And you would get a different sound in different areas, which so far so good different parts of the body sound different when you tap on them um and then measure like draw a line on the person demonstrating where that sound changed Mm. and then apply an electrical frequency not like shocking the person but just kind of turn on the machine to a particular frequency Mm -hmm. do it again and measure the difference in where the sound changed and that's where we get into okay but that doesn't work and so one of the things I really love about this story mm-hmm. is that Scientific American covered him extensively um, so Scientific American as you know probably most listeners know is well-respected science magazine that's for the general public it's not yeah. for scientists mm-hmm. you know what I learned in reading about this is it goes back to 1845 so it is a very old and well-respected science magazine. And so in 1923 and 1924, they did a 12-part series investigating the ERA. And it's really well-written. I wish they would re-release it, like just (laughs) so that people could just buy a copy of all 12 articles without, um, (laughs) like I get it through my library because my library subscribes to the the database JSTOR. So I've Uh been able read these but it's just very engagingly written and the magazine was saying you know we've been getting a lot of letters from people either saying please debunk era or Mm -hmm. please share the good news of era with the world and because you know this was really really popular and Mm. so people were excited about it and people had opinions on on both sides some people were not sure what to think and they wanted an authority other people had very much made up their mind and they wanted you know to that to be shared so the first couple of articles for the most part are written in a way that's it sounds like they're they're keeping an open mind Mm -hmm. and that the magazine and the authors of the article are just saying okay you know we're going into this yeah I suspect that a little of that was a show because very few people in the scientific community were I want to say taken in by this yeah 
they were not were down people. with the abrams they were like oh, a little fishy right right i mean <laughs> think of any of the big fad diets or quack medicine today that's yeah. just totally out there this is very much like goop like yeah yeah absolutely it's very and goopy this, yeah and then this is you know a magazine getting a bunch of letters saying you know the equivalent of please cover you know jade eggs they changed my life or please please stop my sister from buying more things that you recommend exactly the equivalent um and except that it's happening in in the 1920s yeah um and so uh so they're doing this investigation and so they have a reporter go to a doctor that they just call Dr. X for anonymity, who's someone who is practicing the ERA method. Mm-hmm. Um, and there the plot kind of thickens because this doctor was training other people in his method, selling or renting his machines. Um, so it gets it gets a little pyramid schemey, but mm. there is there is a little bit of gray area in real medical devices do need to be manufactured by someone and then they're sold to other people and that's not necessarily a pyramid scheme yeah that's Um, what my husband does that's his job so yeah Yeah. (laughs) so there there definitely are things in common between fake science and real science and so it can be easy and i think that's one of the great things about the the scientific american articles is that it can be easy to go into something like this with Mm -hmm. a lens and you keep seeing evidence for your own point of view like of course that's fake look at this pyramid scheme well Mm -hmm. he's manufacturing something and selling it to other people that that's something that legitimate medicine does as well but the further you go on and the more you learn about this it's no longer scientifically ambiguous this these things didn't work era isn't real and so (laughs) going into it with an open mind is helpful yeah you get answers when you do that yeah Um, And did they get those answers? So they did, but they kept getting them over and over again, in part because people kept throwing new objections Mm. at them. So in one of the first articles, this reporter is going, he is both examined by one of these machines by this this dr x who's an era Mm. practitioner Mm. and apparently he's told that he has 14 ohms of malaria because the severity of a disease was measured in electrical terms because the machines were supposed to be doing this but 14 ohms of malaria isn't a big deal you have to have like over 20 for it to even have symptoms but then there are other diseases where even like five ohms would be a big deal and so this reporter is describing this and i'm I'm just imagining the reporter (laughs) like like, (laughs) yeah just trying to hold it together like we are right now (laughs) exactly like try to keep a straight face um which thankfully we don't have to do no right Um, (laughs) we can make fun of abrams as much as we want because he's dead (laughs) yep um died halfway through the series that uh scientific american was publishing they continued publishing this series after his death and yeah but he had so much influence that it made sense to continue debunking him mm. even when the man was no longer around. Yeah. So the 14 ohms of malaria is even just kind of a side <laughs> note in that article because what this group is doing, they brought 
a series of germ cultures. So, you know, germs grown in a vial to be tested in this machine so that they knew what germ was being grown. And so it was, you know, can you, can this machine correctly identify which diseases these are? Yeah. And I think there were four of them. The first one, Dr. X got it wrong, but that was the, you know, he said it was one thing. It was actually another, that was Uh the end of it. But then for the others, he diagnosed this whole slew of diseases Uh when it was actually just, it was just one germ culture. Yeah. And the, the idea of a whole slew of diseases comes up a lot with Abrams and also a number of other kind of fringy diagnostic things because they're claiming to be so much more sensitive and accurate than mainstream medicine. Mm-hmm. It's also a really great way to scare people is, you know, right. you have five different really serious diseases and, you know, they're latent right now, but they might pop up. Um, <laughs> You've got 27 ohms of that... measles. <laughs> yeah, right. And the same way that today your juice cleanse is getting rid of all of these things you didn't know you had, which juice is great. Juice love, cleanse love is juice. not, not yeah. scientifically supported. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm referencing these modern things. I know there are plenty of differences between the specifics, yeah. Uh, but sort of the the general case here. Mm-hmm. So yes, slew of different diseases, mm. and the reporter and the other people with the reporter say. Well, that's that's not possible mm-hmm. because this is a germ culture. And so Dr. X comes up with a couple of different reasons that it must have been wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's, well, you know, first of all, it's, oh, let me try it again. And then it's at one point it's, oh, well, there's handwriting on this. It must be the electronic waves from the person who wrote the label on this, who wrote no. the, like specimen one, two, three, four. And he, Abrams practitioners did sometimes diagnose people who had just sent a handwriting sample. So that was actually kind of internally consistent, except for the fact that, I mean, A, it doesn't work, and B, it didn't bring it up until his results were wrong. He didn't bring it up before. Then he says, oh, there's also a red border on this label, and the color red is, I don't remember if it was the color red or red ink, but one of Mm -hmm. those two just wreaks havoc on our machines. Then it was, oh, well, this label was probably licked by someone when it was put on the vial. And so that person's diseases are also in this, at which point the bacteriologist in the group says, wait a minute, we don't lick things in bacteriology labs. I love that bacteriologist because she shows up a couple of times in these articles. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point, I don't remember if it was Abrams or one of his followers claimed to have cleared typhoid Mary of typhoid cleared is how they would refer to curing someone because they uh-huh. were talking about you know clearing the energy in yeah. someone yeah yeah the ohms um, the ohms of typhoid right and this bacteriologist worked for the New York City Health Department and this mm-hmm. is during the era of typhoid Mary yeah um, she was forcibly hospitalized twice and there was a period of time in between when she was still working and so this bacteriologist was intimately familiar with that case (laughs) so she says um if you did clear her of typhoid it came back yeah right it's still a carrier for typhoid that is that is validated that is known so I really think that those articles you know I I don't mean to do an advertisement for you know scientific American but those are not sponsoring this episode (laughs) right um And definitely not, you know, the editorial board of the 1920s. Right. But but those articles are such a great window into, okay, 
we're going to try to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. And every time something goes wrong, the practitioners are throwing out new objections that they didn't have before about what could have happened. Um, And I think that approaching things with a healthy level of skepticism, I mean, it is a part of science. And so, you know, a good scientist when approached with something that sounds like complete bullshit Mm -hmm. is going to, if, if it's their area, if they're actually investigating it is going to look at, okay, well, is it possible I'm missing something? Yeah. What would giving this a fair trial look like in terms of experimental design? And sometimes you don't need that because there's just no, no mechanism for this to Mm. happen. Like the acyloclast, which is one of Abrams devices, um, supposedly cured people by breaking up the damaging waves coming from their body. And you open it up and it's, it's just a machine that makes a ticking noise. That's what? literally all it does. No. And so, yeah, no, this, this is like cartoon level of fakery. And so you don't really need to give an acyloclast a fair trial because you already know there's no mechanism by which this could work. But Scientific American is still trying to it's a show people, okay, so even if we, even if we assume that somehow this works, you know, let's, let's try it. And then Dr. Abrams himself is saying, oh, well, you went to an uncertified Abrams practitioner, so that doesn't count. Here's a list of certified ones. And then the certified ones are saying, oh, well, we've actually, some of us have expanded on Dr. Abrams theories and he's not the be all end all. He came up with the system and we've improved on it, which that part again, sounds like science because this kind of one charismatic person is more a hallmark of Mm -hmm. fake medicine. And this, oh, well, he came up with this thing and then we refined it is actually what happens in real science as well, Mm -hmm. but they're using something that doesn't work. And I think So it's always fascinating to try to suss out whether someone who is promoting something that doesn't work Mm -hmm. is a true believer or is a scammer. Yeah. Um, But you can't always suss it out Mm -hmm. um, because they'll say many of the same things. But I mean, I believe, I fully believe that Dr. Abrams was the scammer, at least for the majority of his career, because. Yeah. I mean, the box that was empty and then just ticked, like you can't say you you can't be like yeah no this is a real thing and fully believe that because it's just a ticking box right and he would rent the machines as well as sell them and when he rented them the practitioner who was leasing them had to sign something saying they wouldn't open the box which of course in their theory was because you could mess up the calibration but suspicious yes maybe it's because you'll find out that Right. It's just an empty box. Right. Um, But I also, I mean, I find this kind of thing really funny, but I also, the more I learn about any particular fake medicine, but especially Mm -hmm. Abrams, because I'm I'm into this story, Mm. the more I do understand how people could have gotten there in terms of the patients. Um, So it's, you know, we talked already about how fascinating the idea of electrons and electronics and, you know, even just electricity were to you know the general public at the time this doctor claiming that he has a new application of this physics breakthrough that happened less than a decade ago that Mm. part sounds like well yeah i mean he knows a lot more about science than i do Mm -hmm. he may well you know 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 this thing 
so that part feels incredible, but it actually makes a lot of sense that some people would believe it. Yeah. And then there's the kind of general phenomenon that happens both in his day and in ours, where many, many people for one reason or another become alienated from scientific medicine. Mm. Um, scientific medicine has gotten a lot more scientific in the last mm -hmm. 150 years or so. Things like controlled trials are actually fairly historically new. Wow. Um, and so scientific medicine is, is a lot more trustworthy than it was in Abram's day or 100 yeah. years before that. Mm -hmm. But there are also just people who are becoming alienated, not because the science doesn't work, but because of bad experiences they've had. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you or a loved one has had a horrible disease and science either wasn't able to help or was only able to help up to a point, you know, we mm -hmm. see this with uh, cancer survivors and people yeah. who don't survive and or see, see a loved one not survive or someone who has just been treated really poorly by a doctor, which there are yeah. plenty of people both then so and now. So many stories. So yeah. many stories people for whom the culture of scientific medicine, not necessarily the science itself, is really opposed to their own cultural values. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's because they have cultural beliefs or religious beliefs about what health and illness means, or mm -hmm. whether, you know, there's just a lot of issues of trust that can come up. For sure. Um, or if you've never had access to a healthcare practitioner who speaks your native language, like there's so many reasons, or if just the healthcare you need is really expensive and someone else says, Hey, I've got this thing for $5 that'll cleanse your energy and cleanse your body yeah. or this thing for $50 or this thing mm -hmm. for $500. There's, you know, kind of levels of people being drawn into these ideas. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of reasons that the options that are being presented as the only options might might suck for people and people in that position are much more likely to be interested when yeah. someone says hey i've got this other thing that can definitely cure you sick i mean sick people and people who have sick loved ones will do anything for a chance to have the person that they love and care about or themselves have that chance to be better and that's right. the part that's not funny that's the part right. that wants to make me like get in a time machine, punch Abrams in the face and be like, stop, just stop, please. Yeah, it's it's predatory when people yeah. have these fake medical ideas mm -hmm. and then sell them to people. Some people are going without real medicine because they're, you know, I mean, this is also the goop phenomenon is people going without real medicine because they are... Yes interested in these these fake things and that's not to say that the scientific establishment has a monopoly on the truth mm. but things that are real can be proven by the scientific method mm -hmm. um, even if they didn't originate from a scientist yeah and so it's so frustrating when you remember how many people are are taken in by this kind of thing yeah so the other thing i want to talk about i mean we could we could go on just about just about him forever So the reason that I, I learned about Abrams mm -hmm. is that I actually uh, wrote a book in the past couple of years. It just came out in February. It's called Exploring American Healthcare Through 50 Historic <gasps> Treasures. Yay! Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Everybody. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, it's published by um, 
the American Association for State and Local History, which is a professional organization in my field. And they, they are a co-publisher of Roman and Littlefield, which is a large indie publisher that does kind of academic and museum and then a couple of other fields of, you know, areas that are publishing things that are sort of mixture of academic and public mm-hmm. type work, um, mm-hmm. which is exactly what, what my book is, is that it's, you know, researched from a scholarly perspective, but it's for a general audience. Nice. Um, and so when I came up with the idea for the book, it was because the publisher had sent out a call for proposals for books in this format, which is a particular topic within American history in, as they call it, 50 historic treasures, meaning in Mm. 50 objects. Mm -hmm. And specifically in this series, objects that are in museums or at historic sites across the U.S. Um, Or sometimes rather than an object, it's the historic site itself is the sort of the feature. Um, And so this concept isn't unique to this publisher. Lots of people publish these sort of history and 50 kind of things. Mm -hmm. But this particular series, they wanted to specifically focus on specific individual objects in museums, whether it was a unique object or one that many museums have. And so this book has 50 different topics. And this goes back to what I mentioned at the beginning about being interested in both scientific medicine and other ways that healthcare shows up in people's lives. So I have a short chapter on faith healing and chapters on parts of scientific medicine that ended up being dead ends. You know, people were really interested in curing people with what was called blue mass or calomel, which was a mercury Uh compound. And there are some mercury compounds used in medicine today, but they're not ones that put mercury into your body in a way that your body will be poisoned by. Blue mass is the opposite. (laughs) Yeah. You would get mercury poisoning from from calomel. Um, And that that was a really common treatment in the early 19th century. Um, Thank you. So, you know, my book is very brief introductions to many different subjects. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for an artifact that could represent quack machinery. Yeah. Um, And so I was looking at a number of different museums. There's a great museum in Minneapolis, the Bakken Museum. Mm -hmm. I actually haven't been there. That was particularly (laughs) weird about researching this book largely during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I developed relationships with a number of museums that I have not yet visited. So I wrote myself a hell of a bucket list while I wrote this book. <laughs> um, but the the Bakken Museum has a, a great collection of what they consider fringe technology. And they're careful to say fringe because mm-hmm. they are not judging whether something was quack or not, yeah. whether it was real or not, whether it was true believers or scammers who were proponents of these devices. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a really interesting and useful perspective to take. Yeah, yeah. I am willing to take the stand to say that Abrams was was a quack. Yeah. But the Bakken has a number of Abrams' devices in their collection, and they gave me permission to use a photo and gave me some additional information about a particular acyloclast in their collection. Um, And so one (laughs) of the chapters in my book yeah. Uh, so one of the chapters in my book, I learned about Abrams and focused on that to kind of give readers a taste of this mm-hmm. broader world of quack machinery yeah. in an earlier age. Not to That's say that, so cool. you know, fake medicine doesn't exist today. Yeah. So it was, I mean, a fabulously fun project, although it's also, you know, a ton of work to write a book yeah, outside right? of one's <laughs> working hours, especially. 
Um, But it was, it was also fabulously fun. And yes, I mentioned this in part to advertise my book to your readers or to pitch it. Um, Perfect. Do it. I will caution that each chapter is only a couple of pages. So listeners, you've already heard a lot of what I have to say on Abrams. (laughs) So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that you're going to get 200 more pages on this topic if you take a look at the book, because it's many, many different topics in the book. That makes it even better. Um, Oh, and one other story I'd like to share about my own experiences sort of with this. So after, before the book came out, but after it was finished, after Mm -hmm. my part was finished and it was, you know, being printed and laid out and all of those wonderful things that I'm very glad there are other professionals who can do (laughs) um, because I'm not a layout expert or a printer or any of those things. Um, But my husband and I were in New Hampshire and we were, we were there to hike Mount Washington, but we also spent, uh, you know, a day just kind of being tourists mm-hmm. and so we were in this small town near one of the trailheads of Mount Washington and so we went to the local historical society because that's what I do when I'm a tourist one of the yep. things I do and it exactly. turned out to be a really interesting mostly volunteer run historical society that talked a lot about that town's history as a paper mill town which I knew almost Mm -hmm. nothing about but then the building itself had been owned by a local doctor in the early to mid 20th century Mm. Um, and so he had lived in the upstairs and then had his offices as a doctor in the basement Mm -hmm. so the tour actually started in the basement which was set up with his doctor's office And the tour guide was telling us about this doctor and it became increasingly clear that the doctor was someone who was trying things from all different modalities, fake and real, mostly Mm. fake. And so Mm -hmm. he was, you know, this very fringy doctor. But then also as the tour went on, it became clear that our tour guide didn't see a problem with it and seemed to believe that this doctor was kind of on the up and up. And he pointed out this one machine that he he claimed the FDA was going to take away from the doctor, but the doctor hid it. And I took a photo of that machine. Uh-huh. And it, it, looked, it looked like maybe an old fashioned radio combined with like a soundboard or light board for theater, just mm-hmm. all of the different switches and, and dials that you can yeah. imagine on this one, you know, wooden cabinet Mm. around this machine you know so I thought that was really cool and uh you know my husband and I are like surreptitiously giving each other glances we're the only ones on the tour it's one of those places where you show up and the docent said would you like a tour sure we're the whole group great all right personal tour um and then as the tour went on it we started to realize and the the tour guide's comments started to make it clear he grew up in that town this was an older gentleman he had been a patient of this doctor, like from childhood. So this was his family doctor. And so that's why he was, you know, presenting this guy's forays into all sorts of different therapies as just totally normal. And some of it, you know, he's in this rural town, this, this doctor got interested in dentistry and purchased a bunch of dental equipment and started being the town dentist as well. Some of that, make some sense other than the fact that you really should have a dental degree to do that you should really just Um, not be going and drilling into people's mouths (laughs) right right regardless of whether you have some other qualifications so you can both understand it and also go wait no Mm -mm. travel however far it 
you need to, to go to someone who's actually trained. Yeah, um, yeah. And so later in the trip, we were, uh, you know, sitting, waiting for something. I'm waiting yeah. for our takeout or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So I was going back through my photos and I said, you know, I'm going to look up this device that I took yeah. this picture of that was this, you know, contraband because the government FDA. doesn't want to know the real, the real the thing. Truth. <laughs> it was a Dr. Abrams device. It was one that Dr. Abrams had sold. <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to say. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah. Full yeah. circle. Oh my yes. gosh. That's so, so, so cool. So weird. Science is <laughs> bananas. And so is medicine. Yes. And it, you can't make this stuff up. I swear reality right. is weirder than fiction. <laughs> right, right. No, it, it sounds it sounds fake when you say that, you know, someone was selling these devices was massively popular that major magazines were devoting 12 articles to trying to debunk these empty boxes but you know it's not because people are stupid it's no. because people can be manip manipulated and there are you know good techniques to manipulate mm -hmm. people yeah yeah there are and and i don't want to sound like i'm saying that scientific medicine never gets things wrong yeah. um but what i what i do want to say is that good scientists correct themselves when they get things wrong or other yeah. scientists correct them and mm -hmm. the the field of scientific medicine certainly there's corruption certainly mm -hmm. there are problems mm -hmm. but overall it is getting more and more things right as time goes on because people are invested in yeah. fixing it when there are problems fixing yeah. it when there's when there is an experiment that goes oh well we were we were using the wrong germs. So obviously we got the results wrong. You right. know, when there is something just wild like that. Yeah. The red ink. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, real science keeps trying to improve. Yeah. And that's the wonderful thing about science. Yeah. I'm glad there's people out there that can do it because my brain yes. doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. That was wonderful and enlightening. And I love the full circle nature of your research and then going to that random museum and that, that poor old man <laughs> who yes. gave me that tour. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank and you for having me, giving me the opportunity to bubble on about this topic because no, it's really I love fun. It. Yeah, it was great. I know everybody who's listening right now is going to absolutely just enjoy everything. And I know they're going to love it so much that they're going to want to know how to find you in other places. So give us all of your socials, all of the things. Where can we find you? What projects are you doing? We want to hear about sure. everything. Sure. Thank you. So I, I try to make it so that if you can spell my name, you can find me. Um, so my <laughs> website is teganquijo.com and my Twitter handle is Tegan Kehoe. And I'm a little less active on Twitter these days, but I'll, I'll be back eventually. Mm -hmm. um, same with Instagram. And um, I have a bookshop.org site. Bookshop.org is a an indie bookstore alternative to some of the larger book retailers. Um mm -hmm. And so I, I'm in their affiliate program. So if you if you search my name, Tegan Kehoe on bookshop.org, you'll find me there as well. Awesome. Um, that's also a great place to find my book. Um, my book is also sold by the mega corporations. So search <laughs> me at your favorite mega corporation book selling website. You'll find me there as well. And um, I also 
people who are interested in my book, I really encourage you to get it from your library as well. It's a, it's more important that you read it than, than you buy it. Um, mm. But also that helps other people find it, especially if you request it from your library, if they don't already have a copy, people can, can find me in a variety of places and they can find my book in a variety of places. Love it. Thank you. I will put all of Tegan's socials and links and all of the things that she just talked about in the show notes below. So please check her out get the book go to the library but also i'm just like trying to trying to buy the book too like help her out <laughs> <laughs> and uh find tegan wherever you can so thank you so much for being here with us thank and you, uh, yeah i hope we see you again <laughs> yes well, my friend, thank you so much for joining Tegan and I in this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. My flabbers are thoroughly gasted. Can you believe that man had the audacity to sell an empty box that ticks? History is bananas. Absolutely bananas. So thank you again for joining us in this episode. If you enjoyed it, leave a rating and a review or send me a message letting me know what you thought about this episode and do something that makes you happy today and every day. Drink your water and I will see you next Friday when we talk about Minamata, Japan's poison secret. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>